Join a Planet Fitness near you from $5 a week plus no locking contract. Enjoy tons of equipment and small group classes. Upgrade to our Black Card membership to bring a friend for free and access our Black Card Spa. Planetfitness.com.au Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at Supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. The Super Smash this year, have you mm. enjoyed it? I can't say. Um, the games I've watched, I have enjoyed it. I've, it's just been the big gaps between the games. It's been hard to get some momentum um, watching it. Um, but it has been some good cricket uh, mixed in and around it. So oh, I know a team that's rolling really hot um, throughout the whole season has been Canterbury as well. So... You know, it'd be good to have a chat to Fultz. I think we've got Fultz on the line. We do. Peter Fultz has joined us this morning. Bright and early morning. Peter, how you doing? You good, thanks, guys. How you going? Yeah, good. Great to have you on the program. Um, are you guys travelling to Otago today? Uh, yeah, about lunchtime we're heading down there. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's raining in Christchurch at the moment. So, um, fingers crossed we get some good weather down there. And, um, yeah, like I said, it's... Um, you know, it'll be it'll be a good game down there. We've got um coming up against Wellington who've obviously, you know, same as us same as us, they've got their black caps available um at the moment. Um so so yes, yeah, should be a should be a hell of a game of cricket. Fultz, you must be absolutely thrilled to give up home advantage where you guys have played so well all season. Yeah, yeah. I mean we we obviously did it last year. We played uh we we played C D up in Auckland, Eden Park number two. Um yeah, I guess yeah. I guess it's just the way the competition set up. Everyone knows the everyone knows the rules at the start, and you know we had, we had a, we had a chance to potentially get a home final, mm. but um, but we we couldn't we couldn't tip NB up on Friday. So so yeah, that's just the way it goes. And um, you know I guess we've got the advantage of having played there on on Sunday. So true. Um, so hopefully we're pretty pretty familiar with the conditions. Yeah, true. Um, we had Cam Fletcher on last week. Um, guys had an absolute blinder of a season. I know he's been consistent over the last couple of seasons. Well, he spoke about your uh, your coaching and and just making the message really, really clear. Uh, what's your message been to the boys leading into this game? Um, well, I mean, it's I guess it's one of those it's one of those one of those things, mate. Where you know, there's no point trying to I guess hide from the fact that it's a, a semi final um, and it's do or die, but. But it, by the same token, um, we've, we've just got to stick to what's been successful for us so far this year, and, and um, you know our batters have been been going out there and being really aggressive. Probably, you know, probably at times too aggressive, um, if I'm being brutally honest. And, and, and sometimes that you know guys come unstuck. But in T20, that's that's the way we want to play. We want our guys to be, look to be look to be aggressive, to come hard at the bowlers, put some pressure on them, and um, the same message for the bowlers: be, be clear around your plans. That's probably the, the thing we try and we try and talk about the most. It doesn't actually matter what your plan is so much as just making sure that you actually commit to it. Well, one thing Cam said, just elaborating off that, uh, Fultz, was that 
you know, he, he's not afraid like he potentially has been when he was being coached other places that if he goes out and tries to hit from ball one and gets out, he's going to come back to a spray. Or, you know, if he believes he's doing the right thing, he feels like he's empowered to do that. And if that is being hyper-aggressive and that's what he's been doing and it, and it works or it doesn't on one particular day, he's not going to be reprimanded. If, if they have been slightly over-aggressive, like you just said, how do you kind of tone that down from a messaging point? How do you get that across to these guys but they can still have serious confidence that what they go out there and do, there isn't going to be any of that chat when they come back out? Uh, I guess it's making sure they have the conversation with the guy that they're batting with out in the middle. Um, you know, like if if a certain bowler comes on and they decide that that's, you know, that's a good matchup for them and they're going to try and, they're going to try and take them down, um, I guess I guess what we ask is, you know, they talk to the, the guy at the other end, um, you know, at least then that's two two heads, you know, making a making a call rather than one. Mm. So, um, yeah, it, it is a fine line. But like I say, T20, I'd rather I'd rather the guys were too aggressive rather than not aggressive enough. Yeah, your batters have been, um, like you say, very aggressive. High strike rates. Um, good having Latham and Mitchell back in the fold as well. Henry Nichols as well, but your bowlers have really held, held it together this year. Um, economy rates have been exceptional. Uh, Henry Shipley uh, has been um, very, very good this year um, and how he's gone, and Matt Henry obviously has been solid. Yeah, bowlers have been excellent. Um, as I say, Henry Shipley, um, probably probably a few people outside of Canterbury wouldn't, wouldn't have known too much before him, uh, too much about him, sorry, before the season. He's been on the scene for three or four years, but he's had a, you know, he's had a lot of injuries um, as, as young fast bowlers tend to do. Um, but yeah, he's managed to get himself on the park. Um, you know, he's played pretty much, pretty much every game this season. Um, and he's, he's bowling, his bowling's been outstanding. He's, he's started taking the new ball, getting wickets at the top, coming back, taking wickets through the middle. Um, and even, you know, the last couple of games have been bowling at the death. So when you add in the fact that he's, you know, he's a he's a genuine batsman as well. Um, you know, he's definitely definitely someone to watch for the future. Mm, talking about watching, um, obviously Wellington have been up and down this season, but they seem to be coming right at this point of the pointy end of the season. Who are your main what um, what focuses on uh, with bat and ball? Oh well, I mean, look, I think with the bat, you know, the top three they've got Finn Allen, Devin Conway, and Michael Bracewell who. Um, you know, we're all all quality players and can be really destructive on the day. So, yeah, I, look to be honest, that'll that'll probably go a long way to to deciding the game. Is you know, can we can we limit the damage that they do? You know, at the top of the order um, with the ball. I think the last game they used about eight eight bowlers, so they've got quite a few options there. So, um, yeah, they're they're quite. I guess they've got quite a bit of versatility with the ball too. From your playing days through to the coaching time you're spending now, um, folks, how have you found that the competition, the standard of the competition has been this year in 2021 and 2022? Look, at, at Mitch made the point that it has maybe a bit hard to get momentum from a spectator's point of view with the games and the weekends, but whenever I've tuned in, there's usually players of quality on both sides that you can really kind of pin the competition on. Has it felt like that being involved directly with it? Oh. See folks, <laughs> he just dropped off the line there. Um, well, I'll ask you, Mitch. <laughs> you, you answer. You, you, you answer that question. You played in the competition for a long time. We're we're probably all right. Um, to, well, we can we can see if we can get folks back. But yeah, I mean, you played in the competition for a long time. You felt like the quality has been there. Yeah, the, it has in certain parts. Um, I I was still 
love them to put some investment into um, getting a good quality overseas player for each each side. Um, I think the knowledge that a good overseas player, like you've got to pay good money, um, but a good quality overseas player, the con- uh, how, what, how they would help the younger guys coming through understand the game a little bit more um, would be invaluable because you know you see the guys go and do the leagues and how much they come back and learn the Glenn Phillips and the likes of that, come back and learn at a young age. Uh, we're missing out on that. Um, we've got... A lot of inexperienced coaches, barring people like Fultz um, around the country barring, and maybe Rob, Rob Bolters, but a lot of guys around the traps who haven't played a lot of cricket and haven't rubbed shoulders with a lot of the greatest players around the world, mm. um, particularly in T20 in a sport that moves in a format that moves so fast, um, it can move, it can completely change in 12 to 18 months. So having guys who are playing that all the time coming in offering a bit of experience. Um, I think we're missing a little trick there. Do you think we've got enough... Well, I think about the Black Cats being involved now, though. Do you think there's enough of an even spread around the teams of those top Black Caps that can get back in these squads? Because a lot of that stuff, if if the coaches aren't sharing Mm. those experiences because they literally don't have them, well, we should be looking internally because the resources we have within New Zealand cricket are incredible at the moment. We've got some of the world's literal best players. Yeah, they are. Um, they're obviously definitely good resources. Um, depends what guy you get come back um, and where they are at the time. A lot of the guys, the schedules with the Black Caps are, you know, are so hectic that a lot of the time is more spent at home. Um, you know, spending time with family and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm sure they do impart knowledge where they can and all that kind of stuff. But um, as well, they're focusing on different formats of the game and all that kind of stuff. So, oh, yeah, I know what you're saying um, that we should have the knowledge here, but there's T20 in particular is a different style. And then the opportunity, like when we had uh, Muhammad, uh, sorry, um, Azra um, Mahmood, Azra Mahmood at Auckland, and the amount of knowledge that he gave us as bowlers and like um, skills in different countries, um, how he played spin differently in different conditions, you know, how he bowled differently to on different fields. Like that kind of knowledge, like fast forward, it accelerated my, um, you know, me getting to the next level. Um, and I just feel like we're missing out on, on that a little bit more. Making sense, Mitch. You're making sense in the metaverse and you're making sense here on ECNZ. And that's what we love you for. 19 minutes past seven o'clock. If you've got any thoughts, double eight, double three. Which international cricket, in that decision-making mould that you've just heard Mitch give examples for, the Brathwaite's or the Billings or these, not AAA-listers, but these guys that are playing these T20 competitions, who would you like to see in New Zealand and what could they actually do? And what players would they love, like to see? Give us some examples of a sort of character, your Cam Fletchery types, that would really benefit from this. People in good form that might need a bit more help with exposure. Double eight double three or oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. It's good stuff from Mitch. We'll be back to talk a bit more about that and get through a couple of texts. We've got Brooke Howard Smith on the line. I'm going to talk a range of things with Brooke Howard Smith, including what he's doing in, a, in an interesting space in your space, the metaverse, um, with NFTs and, and all sorts of stuff like that. But where I want to start, Brooke, as I say, good morning to you, mate. Is I had no idea that you are an X Games medalist. Is that true? Yeah, it is. It is. I um, I make sure my mum puts that at the start of the Wikipedia. Boom, drop <laughs> it. 
Yeah, and actually, I think it's been buried a wee bit, mate. You've obviously done a bit too much in your next few lives because um, it's been buried a bit. So you might need to get your mum up there to update it a wee bit. I had to <laughs> scroll for a bit, and I still didn't really understand what you want to get a medal for. What, what was what was it about? Uh, X Games, very first X Games. I competed in the first three uh, uh, inline skating streets, so like the handrails, street course, and I skated on vert as well. So vert and street. How good is that, Lou? Back back in the day, back in the day. So I kind of just, uh, I, I wear it out sometimes, just to just to roll around Ponsonby in the uh, in the middle. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's Waiheke, isn't it? Up and down those hills. That's right. That's exactly, exactly. Hey, mate, um, great to have you on this morning um, because you're doing some amazing space. We've, we've been talking about um, a few things in, in the last little while. Uh, Louis just coined me Metaverse Mitch, apparently. Um, but we are on the yeah. Baz, Baz and Izzy show, and, and I know you've got a group of guys together um, who have contributed, um, and you and Aaron and a few guys in a bigger way, but um, to helping Auckland City Mission, mate, you raised a million dollars through selling some of your NFTs, and it was nice to be a small part of that with a few well-known New Zealand names. Yeah, that was amazing. So, I mean, the, the background is we started a uh, non-fungible uh, company called Non-Fungible Labs about 12 months ago, just when they started to kind of come onto the radar. And we've been very, very lucky to have built a great community around 50,000 people around the world um, around a NFT project called uh, Fluff World, which sounds, sounds a bit crazy if you're on the outside. Once you're on the inside, it's fine. Uh, and... We donated $100,000 just before Christmas. I ran into this awesome dude, Brian Gregory, who was walking um, a kilometre for every day in December. So 1K on the 1st of December, 25Ks on the 25th. And he walks with a frame, like a Zimmer frame. He's had a, a couple of knocks in his life. Auckland City Mission picked him up, got back on his feet, literally. And he thought he'd raise some money. And so he was up to about 9000 and I, I've had a decent year. I was like, okay, well, listen, we'll get you a bit of cash. Went to the Fluffle, which is our combined group, and we all raised 100K for him. And it was just beautiful. If you ever get a chance to see the footage of him, because he, he was up to nine and a half, he was trying to get to 10,000, and we just you know, gave him 100K, and he it was it beautifully burst into tears. And for him, it's been a real kind of measure of deciding to do something and then people joining you in that mission. And then, so we did that. And then Wednesday last week, I think it was, it's all a bit of a blur. I went to Auckland City Mission and they presented us with a kind of a, there was a water and they thanked us for the 100K. And we just came up with this crazy idea on Wednesday night. Why don't we, we've just been lucky enough to sign this deal with Snoop Dogg. And so Snoop and, um, and our, our company have produced these wonderful, like these amazing houses with a great company out of Wellington called Beyond. They're like virtual reality houses in the metaverse. So it's like, if you think, what is the metaverse? These are like places you can walk around with your avatar and you'll eventually be able to do all sorts of things and then have concerts and parties and play poker with your mates and all these things anyway. So we got Snoop Dogg on board and we got seven of these burrows and we bought them and they cost us a little bit of money to buy them and we thought we'd auction them the following night, Thursday night. And... We, by Thursday at 7.30, it was looking a little sketchy. We didn't know if we were going to get, we wanted to get 200K and it was kind of like limping towards there. 
but by 10.30, with the help of a whole bunch of people, including two great Kiwi syndicates, one that um, you know just has a bunch of Kiwis that own fluffs, raised about 100000 and they lost out on the bidding. But Mitch and your syndicate, this awesome syndicate that includes Spaz and Izzy, I'm probably doxing, which means kind of giving up some information here, but it's got DC in it. Uh, it's, it's bloody great. It's got 660 boys. It's an awesome uh, uh, Instagram chat group, and I think it got to about 130K um, contributed by all of them going straight to the Auckland City Mission. The total raised seven Snoop Dogg burrows was $1,065,000, I think. Crazy. And... Uh, and you can also see that video because we, we filmed this like a telephone. It's the world's cheapest telephone. We just did a Zoom with the, the ladies from Auckland City Mission who, along with 200 volunteers, struggle every day to help those less fortunate. And to see them, watch them watching the total go up and up and up and people get so generous was just awesome. Yeah, it was awesome to, to you, Brooke, obviously you guys have pulled that group of um, athletes together to be able to contribute to that, and that was a really nice touch. And and then we got speaking, um, we've only kind of just briefly touched on it personally, but uh, you think NFTs are going to have a big part to play in sport going forward? Yeah, you know, you, you, you touched on um, my past. I, I was lucky enough to help grow a really amazing community around action sports in the 90s, um, well before you guys were born, Johnny. And... Uh, community growth has always been something I've been interested in. Uh, you know, just how do you get a community growing around a shared mission, and that mission might be, you know, uh, having the Warriors make it this year. <laughs> you know, this is the year for the Warriors, and getting the community talking and engaged and excited around something. Or it could be uh, it could be something as simple as, as what we're doing with the metaverse. But what NFTs are, so if anyone is, like, from the, the very basic nature of an NFT, it's a bit of content that has a contract attached to it. Now, that sounds kind of pretty simplistic, but what that allows is you can put anything in that contract. You need to think of it like an envelope. So if you were, for instance, let's say it's Manchester United, and we know that Man U and a bunch of these big um, teams are doing this now. They're going back to their, their fans and they're finding out who's been a fan since 1975. You know, and they get it building out an NFT for the 1975, since 1975 fans. And they're doing an NFT for everyone that starts to represent what you've contributed to the club so far, but most importantly will track what you're contributing to the club going forward, how many games you've been to, um, the times you go into the chat groups, the support, uh, potentially, you know, working with some of the, the, the teams that are feeding into Manu. And all of that starts to build up a really dynamic look at the club. Like the club becomes, because these things are ecosystems, right? Each club, the Warriors, the All Black, the Black Caps, were ecosystems of creators and athletes and administrators and volunteers, all contributing to the success of, of, of the entity. Now, if you can track that and reward people that are doing a better job than other people, make them feel loved suddenly you're going to have a more dynamic ecosystem. And what's incredible is you can reward them with things that potentially don't have, or either have a monetary value or uh, things that you don't even need to have a monetary value. So an upgrade on your, on, your, on your ticket. You've been volunteering at the feeder team for the last three weeks. You turn up, 
you scan your ticket at the at the door, and they give you an upgrade to a, a VIP seat. So that's what NFTs will allow, and all of that is without the help of Facebook or Instagram or any of these third parties. Mm. The ability to build a genuine community ecosystem and reward the people that are contributing. Ah, it's fascinating stuff, Brooke. I mean, just sitting there, look, obviously this is not your first morning thinking about this stuff, and I know you've probably got a lot more on different levels of information that you could share. Just very, very quickly, because we've got to shoot off, but we we love what you've done for the Auckland City Mission, and SCNZ is so supportive of it, and it's great to have you on the show to try and learn a bit more about this stuff. But if people were sitting here listening and thinking, okay, this is great for, you know, um, it's great for the people that are involved, but how do you find the information to get involved or actually see what you're doing a little bit more? Is there a place you can send us? I'll tell you what, I'll get, I'll get you a link because I'm getting so many people asking now, especially charities, non-profits, brands, things like that. I'm going to do a, a Zoom, a shared Zoom-like broadcast at 12.30 on Friday I'm just going to go over the basics. What an NFT is? What is the metaverse? How do they work in together? And then how can you take this, at least learn enough about this technology to see if it can be a fit in helping you in the next phase of the internet, which is called Web 3.0. So 12.30, um, I'm doing it soon. It'll be on my, I, I'm on I'm on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter. I'll put it on all of those. Um, but potentially I'll just throw that link through to you guys and you guys can have awesome. people join us. Yeah, now that's that's awesome, Brooke. That really excites me, and I'm sure we've got people listening in our ECNZ community that find that really interesting. Thanks so much for your time, mate. We'll have to get you on another another time. We've got a bit more uh, time after this Friday, and we can maybe find the next level of it. But appreciate you this morning. Legends, guys. Have a great day. Keep up the good work. That's six more. That's beautifully timed. He absolutely pummeled that. Baz and Izzy are talking cricket, thanks to Razine, New Zealand's most trusted paint brand for the past 10 years. Yes, Baz and Izzy are still at the beach for a couple more days, but Mitch and Louie, we're talking cricket with Razine, the paint Kiwis trust, and everything you just heard there from Mitch, let's get stuck into it. Nick Webb is on the line, and he joins us right now. Morning to you, Nick. Thanks for spending some time with us. Good morning, boys. How are you going? Yeah, we're good, eh, Mitch? We're loving it. Real good, mate. Yeah, um, Webby, so I know you've you've come back, we spoke briefly, caught up. You've come back now with COVID, just a little bit too hard for you to stay with that Indian team and be away from your young family. Um, I I just really want to kind of set the scene for everyone, and, and you've gone over to that environment, um, coming from New Zealand, uh, where most people... Don't have much of an ego. <laughs> I want to start on on this this way, and then you've gone into some of the biggest superstars in, in world cricket, into their environment, their backyard. How difficult was that for you to start implementing uh, your training regime, and was what were the challenges along the way? Oh, look, it was strange how it all turned up, but it wasn't it wasn't hard at all. I mean, no, I, I kind of went in with the mindset, and obviously, I worked with New Zealand cricket before I went over to India, and it pretty much laid the foundation of how I operated. So I I went in there with a pretty open mind. I knew I was a foreigner. I knew they were a, a big um, international body. They had big players. I was going into a different culture, different language. Um, so I basically went over there with the strategy of, you know, I'm just going to take my time. I'm going to ask the right questions. I'm going to observe. I'm going to get to know the players really, really well. And, and with any sporting team, when you're trying to have some form of impact or influence, you've you've just got to get and take your time to understand the players and get to know them and understand where they're coming from. So 
Um, it wasn't difficult at all, but I gave myself six months to, to really get to know the system and the, and the players. Um, and then I could start drip feeding how I wanted to operate and, and implementing my methods. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't hard at all. There's been a lot of chat about um, Virat Kohli over the last couple of weeks stepping down from the captaincy mm-hmm. um, across all formats. Basically, um, you've spent a lot of time with him, particularly in the gym, and I'd love to know a little bit more of the stuff that we don't see around Kohli and his work ethic, and, and the stuff you have seen mm-hmm. and the pressures that's on him um, externally as well. Yeah, I remember having a good conversation with him over the last you know six months before I I stood down. Um, you know, being the Indian captain, it takes a, a huge toll. People don't see a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. Um, and then I think the main thing, for the reason he, he stood down, I think, was that he just wanted to have that extra freedom and just concentrating on his batting. Mm. Um, but what people don't see is, I mean, I, what I call a 24-7 athlete. That guy is on every single time. Um, he's looking, he's at a stage in his career where he wants to play until he's 39, 40 years old. And he, he knows that he has to prepare physically, mentally, um, from a skill point of view, uh, 100% of the time. And he's always looking for that new thing to get that extra edge. You know, he's obviously very fit, um, very capable in the gym and, and running and very quick. Um, and he's and he's always looking after his recovery and his nutrition as well. So he, he's he's the full package in my mind. Um, and from a from a mindset perspective, he is is next level. He he um, is ruthless in his preparation. Um, and he's, and he's also a, a balanced athlete. He understands that the role that he plays in the, in the wider scheme of the BCCI. So he's an incredible man, um, a great man to talk to. I'm sure you've had a chance to talk to him um, during the IPL match. But, um, yeah, he, um, he, he is up there with how he prepares. Nick, I often think that trainers become psychologists um, in in these kind of teams, particularly in <laughs> cricket. And that reaction kind of just sums it up. You you have to you're almost doing therapy sessions while you are training them. I just want to touch on like um, you know, has he ever has Virat Kohli ever kind of said to you what challenges he's been through and and how he's developed that mental resilience, which has obviously led him into being able to be top of his game more often than not. Yeah, like, I'll go back to what you first said. I mean, us as strength and conditioning coaches and, and trainers, we spend the most time with the players. Um, you know, we, we're at skill sessions, we're in the gym, we're at pool sessions, we're at recovery, we're helping them um, do all their nutritional plans. You know, so it's, it's, it's no, no fault of our own that we, we get to know the players the most. We spend the most time with them. Um, but, yeah, it's... Um, he. Yeah, I just lost my train of thought. So, yeah, he, uh, he he's an incredible man, and I'm not surprised that he has um, stood down from the from the, the captaincy. He his resilience is all about his. He wants to take all the fluff out of his preparation. You know, obviously he's a big man in India. Um, he's huge on social media. He's got a lot of interviews. He's got a lot of pressure. So for him. To be able to be mentally resilient, he takes a lot of fluff out of his, out of his preparation and out of his life. Um, so he just concentrates on cricket when he's on tour. He's cricket and his preparation, and, and that's it. He's got a team behind behind his own team um, that do all the marketing and you know, self promotion that he he needs to do. But um, yeah, like I said, he takes a lot of the um, a lot of the fluff out of his preparation in his daily life.
All right, Nick. Mitch wants all the gravy on Coley. I'm not too sure why. Uh, I'm, mate, I'm more interested in you. Like, this is a fascinating story of a Kiwi achieving at a very high level, man. Like, what what was the lifestyle like over there? I mean, did you have friends? I mean, you obviously, you, you got mates within the side, but you're probably in bubbles a lot of the time or you, you're with the players. The, the actual downtime, did you get any? And what was the lifestyle like? Well, it was a bit different because pre-COVID, I started in September. Uh, 2019, and it was pre-COVID freedom. Um, I started with a, a Indian summer for six months over there. Um, it was incredible. You know, the fans are amazing. They're, you know, just next level. Um, the lifestyle was brilliant. Obviously, you're staying in, ho- in very nice hotels. Um, but then, obviously, COVID hit, and things just drastically changed. You know, obviously, you're still staying in the, the outmarket hotels and that, but you, you do generate some some good friendships within the team, um, but the the lifestyle obviously within the bubbles definitely changed a lot during the pandemic. Um, a lot of challenges that we had to face, and we had to be adaptable in, in terms of how we prepared. Um, you know, obviously people what people see from the outside is oh these guys are you know staying in the in nice hotels, but if you're locked in those walls um, for a, an extended period, you know you go a bit bonkers. So. Um, look, we, we all relied on ourselves to make sure that we were all okay um, and that we were getting that time and freedom to ourselves and having that social interaction as well. And when we, whenever we could get outside during the pandemic, we would. Um, yeah, and giving ourselves space as well. So, But the lifestyle was incredible. Um, you know, um, unbelievable players, incredible experience. I've, I've learned a lot personally and professionally, um, as you do when you go into a different environment, a different culture yeah. and a different language. Um, but yeah, an incredible experience that I think will um, influence how I operate as a practitioner and a coach and a, and a professional for years to come. So let's tap into that, Nick. Uh, <laughs> we've got an opportunity where we've got a lot of listeners who may have kids or they're cricketers or athletes themselves. Um, what did you implement to increase, now cricket's about a power game, what did you increase uh, for power for batsmen and then uh, speed for bowlers? Oh, geez, Mitch, do you want about an hour? <laughs> I think he does. I think uh, I think he's, I think he's eyeing up to. a comeback um, next. So it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, look. Are <clears> they <throat> getting too detailed? I think the main thing for people that want to increase their speed and, and their batting power and that, you just got to understand that we well, are going to work out what sort of player you want to be. Um, and and how you want to express yourself on the field. Um, and do you, do you want to play... You know, all formats, do you want to play one format? And like Mitch, you just want to play one format. You just want to go with glory and be explosive. <laughs> uh, um, Good ribbing. Um, he, uh, yeah, and you just got to understand, you're going to have that overarching strategy, how you want to play, okay? And that's, and that's what you base your program off. And then you, you really need professional help. Guys like myself, strength and conditioning coaches, fitness trainers, Firstly, if you're young, you just got to get into the gym and learn how to move properly, work, move safely, um, and learn to, to get under the bar, so to speak. You know, learn how to get strong and how to express that strength with your body. Um, and I guess um, understand, you know, the potential pitfalls of playing cricket at higher levels, or as you progress through the grades, you're going to be. I mean, cricket is such an unnatural sport, especially bowling. It's probably the most unnatural thing the body could ever do. Um, so you've got to be able to be strong enough and tolerant enough to be able to play the game. And you are going to be exposed to a, a higher injury risk. Um, so it's not just about you know getting strong and 
putting performances on the park, but about, about being healthy and reducing your risk of injuries while you're playing sports so you can play the sport that you love for as long as you can. Um, so that's the main, I guess, the, the tips that I would give to a young you know, buddy in cricket is just get into a plan, um, hire a professional and, um, you know, and just keep enjoying the sport and keep enjoying the process because it is a process and it's an ongoing process even for the guys at the top um, and, and just enjoy what you love. Nick, you've painted a, a very different picture of a professional cricketer than what I've learnt from Baz. Um, th- there's obviously a, a lot of fun involved with being a cricketer, but th- these guys are high-level athletes, especially these days, right? I mean, how long have you been involved? And have you seen the ev- evolution of um, what a cricket professional looks like change, especially in the last decade? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I started you know, with New Zealand cricket around 2011, you know, New Zealand, Australia, England, they, they're far more advanced and more mature from our strength and conditioning and how they, we prepare um, compared to some of the, the Asian countries, you know, purely because they've had the facilities and the infrastructure and the people. Um, and it was quite interesting going over to India where they come from an ecosystem where it's highly skill dominant. Um, they, you know, they're playing, like we obviously play backyard cricket, but they, they play gully cricket and they're very skill dominant. So the guy that I took over from the BCCI, um, Shankar Basu, he um, he set an excellent foundation. So they only really started, you know, how really delving into how they prepare physically from a strength conditioning point of view, you know, five years ago, six years ago, mm-hmm. and that's when Virat Kohli's fitness culture took off as well. Um, so yeah, it's how. The, the game is getting tougher. It's getting longer. There's more longer. There's longer series. It's higher intensity, um, and especially the BCCI boys, they're playing 30% more cricket than anyone else. Um, and then guys like Kane and the guys that play IPL, they're, they're 12 months of the year basically. So they have they've almost had to change the way they prepare from a physical point of view because they have to last the entire year, year on year out. Mm. Um, and and the national boards are getting smarter as well in how they rotate. Um, players as well. You'll see that the Black Caps did it leading up into the T20 World Cup. They rotated players, had different squads, same with India last year. Um, we were in England and we sent a, an ODI and a white ball campaign to Sri Lanka as well. So there are, yeah, you have to prepare differently, you have to adapt and you have to prepare for the demands of cricket that's just getting harder and more intense. Nice. Webby, I have to ask you, uh, being a left arm spinner from way back, uh, how many wickets and who was the prize wicket you took in the nets? Oh, well, I was actually a right arm. Oh, right arm. Uh, Sorry, I, I thought you were listening. Mate, not everyone's left arm. Apologies. <laughs> Apologies. Apologies. <laughs> I always remember you telling me that I was chucking the ball, and I probably did chuck the ball, but I do remember... Reminding you, know, you early doors. A, a, a age group Auckland cricket that I did get you out of, get you out a few times. Um, but yeah, Marty Guptill, <laughs> we grew up with Martin Guptill, um, and obviously yourself and AJS Patel and all those boys as well. So it was always good getting Marty out because we had a little bit of a rivalry. Um, but yeah. Um, <laughs> love it, love there's, it. There's a few of you boys. I, always, I also remember, I mean, you were a little donkey thrower back in the day, and then all of a sudden we didn't see you for a year, and then you put on some gas. So I don't know what you did there, um, what you were eating. Ruffin Nadal, mate. Ruffin Nadal. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mate. Hey, um, you, you, you're back here. What, what are you doing now? Have you got a site? Um, you're obviously top of the game in terms of cricket, fitness, conditioning, sports, fitness and conditioning. You should have a fitness and conditioning radio show, mate. Nick can talk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have, have you got a website that we can send people to or 
Well, what are you doing now, uh, mate? No, not, not really. I mean, the, the main reason why I, I gave up BCCI was to, you know, I was spending six to eight months on, on, on the road and I couldn't get home from COVID. Um, but, so, I mean, I came here back home just to spend time with my family. I'm really enjoying the long summer. I'm living up here in the Bay of Islands at the moment. We've got all the water sports going out on the boat and things like that. So I'm just really enjoying a long summer that I haven't had for quite a few years now. Um, I'm doing some advisory work um, with a company over in the UK, and I've started a partnership with a, a company over in um, Western Europe but heading into India um, called Incubate Media and Cricktips. So we're doing some educational videos um, through YouTube and, and, and kind of marketing that through algorithms and, and YouTube um, throughout India. Crick and tips. Yeah, I'll, 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 your Crick Tips, um, you can check that out on, on uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram. But I've joined the Northern Districts Cricket Association board Ooh. that happened in November. Nice. Um, so I'm quite interested to get into the governance side of things. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a master's in business administration as well at the moment, which is keeping me very busy. Um, yeah, and I guess from a from a strength and conditioning fitness perspective, I'm just taking my time to to sort out my next opportunities. A few conversations going on at the moment, but nothing nothing solid at the moment. Nothing, no contract in front of me. But I'm taking my time. I'm not in any rush. So I'm just enjoying my time with the family and and, and pottering around. Nice. Um, got a few other. The next David White, love it. Yeah, <laughs> 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 you heard it here first on SENZ Breakfast. Oh, I don't know. It might be a chance for like some water skiing or some sort of <laughs> X Games medal. <laughs> Sounding like loving the water sports off in the Bay of Islands. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us, Nick. I mean, I, look, I found this fa- fascinating for a couple of different aspects, and you're yeah, getting that insight as to what the the Indian powerhouse is like, the BCCI, and then also, you know, how much thinking goes into actually having a plan before you want to um, actually change your body or try and become more powerful or faster it's really insightful stuff so we'll catch up again down the track I'm sure but thanks for today no problem boys and thanks for your time and um, enjoy the rest of your show right now we're going to cross over to Chris Walker who works for DAZN and he's right in the zone when it comes to this stuff it's a pleasure to catch up with you in the evening your time Chris how you doing I'm okay, thank you. Appreciate you having me on. How's things over there? Do I think okay? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're going, good, mate. We're good. going well down here, man. We're, we're doing our best anyway. Hey, talk to us. Give us the lay of the land here. Why is it kind of D-Day? What is it tomorrow for the heavyweight division? And what is all this drama about who fights who revolving around? Yeah, I think from what I'm led to believe, I think today could be D-Day. Um, I think Tyson Fury and Alexander Yusuf are pretty much working hard behind the scenes to try and do a deal um, to get that undisputed fight. Um, Whether that takes place is anyone's guess. There's plenty of other things moving in the background. The Dillian White situation with the WBC, anti-Joshua's step-aside money. So I think if Fury and Yusuf can't get a deal done today, then I think we will go to Pierce Bits tomorrow and hopefully things do become clearer, but I still wouldn't be so sure about that. Chris, um, I'm, I don't know too much about this, but that fifteen million pound step aside fee—if if Joshua was to take that—does that come out of the purse uh, for the fight, or is it paid by someone else? See, see, that's the situation. As it stands, I don't know where that money is going to come from. Um, Joshua is the biggest name in the heavyweight division by quite a distance, um, along with Canelo Alvarez. He's probably the face of boxing. Um, despite his most recent results, he's still a massive draw. Now, 
if that fight was to take place in somewhere like Saudi Arabia, where someone is going to put up a lot of money to stage Fury and Yusuf, there might be 15 million left aside to hand to Anthony Joshua. But that that's just speculation at the moment. It, it's not clear where that fight's going to take place. Um, so until everything becomes clear between Fury and Yusuf, whether that money is there to even pay Anthony Joshua, um, whether Joshua even wants that money. Um, he, he done an interview on IFL TV yesterday um, saying he's seen no contract, he's signed no contract. It just seems to be media talk at the moment, that 15 million, whether it's true or not, um, but that's another thing. But if the money was going to be there to pay Joshua, it's going to have to come from someone who, who's prepared to put in a lot of money to stage a Fury and Yusuf fight. Chris, you make the point that Anthony Joshua is still a huge draw card and still very much the face of boxing, especially in your part of the world. What, what does that mean for what the fans or boxing enthusiasts want? Do they want an undisputed heavyweight champion or do they want a fight that involves Joshua? I think over in the UK, I think I think Fury and Joshua is massive. It's been spoken about for a very long time. Um, I, I think maybe in America, Eastern Europe... Um, they, they probably do want the undisputed champion, the four belts. It's never been done in the heavyweight division before. We've had undisputed champions before, before the WBO title came to prominence. But the four belt era, um, I, I think the the American public, certainly Eastern European, Ukraine, where Yusuf's from, um, I think they'd want to see their man become a, a four belt champion. But in the UK, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, in terms of box office, money, pay-per-view, stadium, it doesn't get much bigger. Fighting styles? I mean, you watch a lot of this stuff. Is Joshua, sorry, is Fury Usic a, a attractive fight? I mean, it, would, it, would it be weird? I'm trying to imagine it in my head, but you know a lot more about the stuff than I do. Does it match up? Yeah, I, I'd say so. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's more a purist fight than a, a, a barroom brawl, the, the, the stuff that gets casuals watching, but uh, if you look at Fiori's free fights with Deontay Wilder, the excitement they provided, I, I don't think anyone expected that going in. I think, I think if you look at Fiori in the last two, the, the last two fights against Wilder, he was a lot more aggressive. He took the fight to Wilder, um, and I think he tried to impose himself on on Yusuf in a similar way. There might come a time in the fight where Yusuf doesn't feel he can really do much against um, Fiori's size, and he might have to stand and fight and. It might deliver that big fight. Um, boxing is one of them things, something that looks like on paper, like it's going to be a chess match or a stylish matchup, can easily just like transform into a, a big brawl out of nowhere. I think the last couple of fights of Tyson Fury's have been very entertaining. Um, so it, it could be it could be a fight that catches fire, but I, I do think the the two of them are thinking fighters. They have each other's respect, so we probably will. Better chance we will do see a boxing match in that one. Hmm. Chris, um, in the past when there's been these kind of um, step-aside fees, um, does the, st- uh, the fighter often, when they step aside, negotiate to fight um, the winner of the bout um, that they've stepped aside from? Does that, has that ever happened in the past? Yeah, it's, it's, there's been examples in the past. Um, famously, the most famous, probably Lennox Lewis in the 90s. Um, he took step-aside money to allow Mike Tyson um, to go into another fight, but um, that the fight with Tyson didn't happen until six years later. So uh, everything, everything can happen in boxing. Um, it, it, <laughs> yes. I, I, I am at the 
No, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm of the opinion that if Joshua is to take step aside money, then would one fair shot at Fury and, uh, or Yusuf, whoever's victorious in that fight. But who knows what could happen? I have a fighter could suffer a big injury, a, a big massive cut that keeps them out of the ring for a long time. So it, it, what appears black and white at the moment, it, it might not be like that once that fight's out the way. So I, th- I think Joshua has got a, a big decision to make. Like I said, it, if he is going to get step aside money, he's going to be compensated well. But then, once the Fury Usyk fights out the way, who knows what the situation looks like then? Yeah, no, nah, it's it's really interesting, Chris. This is going to be fascinating to follow through the next twenty four hours and then the next week for sure. Hey, just before I let you go, do you have a uh, football team? Do you support are you barrack for anyone? Yeah, I support Liverpool. Yeah, it would have to be. It would, <laughs> just screamed of it. <laughs> the, the accent just screamed of it. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, um, hopefully they can keep keep their charge going and maybe peg City back a bit. Appreciate your time. No worries. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Have a good day, guys. 